Now we're going to turn to the reading and proclaiming of God's Word. Uh, If you haven't been with us before or you haven't been with us in a while, we've been looking at the letter of James, which was written to Christians who have Jewish backgrounds that are scattered throughout the Middle East. And last week what we saw was that James said that following Jesus is more than just believing a few things. It definitely is that. If you're following Jesus, it takes faith. It requires belief, but James says that that faith takes root in your heart and it begins to grow outward, to change the way that you think, the way that you act. And last week, James warned, if you're not seeing that change, if your works aren't evident, then maybe you should consider whether or not that faith is actually present. And that's kind of a scary and convicting reality. And so in order to make it a little more personal, something we can look at better, James focuses on one particular area that none of us struggle with, that none of us have a problem with. So as I read the passage, I want you to identify what is not a problem of yours. That was irony, if you missed that. Let's read James chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Oh God, this morning as we come to you, we are physically cold here in person, but in all reality, we are cold to the ways in which we sin against you so often. It's easy for us to find fault in others and easy for us to excuse our own. So this morning, I ask that you would send your spirit to us to use these words from James, from you, to convict us. Help us to see the ways in which we are harming others through our speech. Help us to ask for forgiveness and help us to run to the cross to receive the forgiveness and the life that Jesus bought for us and gives to us freely. Pray that my words would fall to the floor and only your words remain. And I pray this in the mighty name of your son, Jesus. Amen. On February, or excuse me, Friday, January 13th, 2012, the the cruise liner, luxury cruise liner, Costa Concordia, set off from its port, port north of Rome and sailed 
through the Tyrrhenian Sea. And as it approached a vacation island known as Giglio just after dinner, the captain, Francesco Schettino, decided to maneuver the ship close enough to shore so that people living on the island could see it in all its magnificence. Now, perhaps he had done this in order to impress his date for the evening. It's possible that he did this to show off to his friend and mentor who lived on the island or the ship's other captain, the retired captain who lived on the island as well. But in whatever case, whatever the reason he did this, he put the ship in jeopardy. He was trying to do something he had done before, but because he was not focused on protecting the ship itself, he made several key mistakes. He had the boat going too quickly to pass this close to shore. He wasn't using his navigational instruments to pilot the craft. Instead, he was driving just by sight, and so he did not see the rock just beneath the surface of the water that was right in front of him. And even though he tried to maneuver away from this rock, it took a huge 280-foot section out of the hull of the ship. Mistake after mistake led the captain to fear going back out into open ocean and instead turning the ship and running it aground on the island. The ship began to sink. It tilted sideways almost at a 90-degree angle, and 32 people lost their lives. Now, Without question, Schettino did not intend to hit the island. He did not intend for 32 people to lose their lives. But this tragedy might have been avoided if the primary concern of the captains had been piloting the boat in a way that would keep the passengers safe, keep them alive. James, throughout the first three chapters of this letter, has talked about what is the primary concern for us as followers of Jesus. He has talked time and time again about being divided, about reading, knowing, and believing God's Word, but then living as if it doesn't really matter at all, letting our fear or our foolishness dictate our actions and our reactions. James urges us to let the truth of the gospel be the primary driver of our lives. And here, to illustrate this point, he turns to our speech, our tongue, for good reasons. It is something that we all struggle with, the way that we talk to others and about others. Our speech is something that provides insight into our hearts. He uses this, uh, this issue of our speech because of how powerfully it can affect the lives of others around us and our own lives as well. We all want to be heard. We all want to be listened to and understood We also have all said things that have had painful and destructive, unintended consequences. Mistake after mistake lead us to sink a relationship, to break someone's heart or their trust, to get ourselves into terrible or awkward situations. Now, this is the part of the sermon where I tell you what follows is not for the person sitting next to you. It's not for your neighbors It's not for your siblings, it's not for your spouse, it's not for your parents or your friends, but it's for you. What is James writing to you today? When what's inside comes out, you can burn it all down unless your words are God's words. Those are our three points this morning, starting with when what's inside comes out. 
The Bible has a lot to say about our words, about our speech, and in particular, the reality that our mouths are fueled by our hearts. Throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus talks a lot about how our mouths reveal where our hearts are. And one of the passages that was in the bulletin for your uh, reflection comes from Matthew 15, uh, verses 10 through 11 and 17 through 20. And in those passages, this is what Jesus says, hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. Jesus is talking about obeying the Jewish food purity laws. And many people were saying, you have to do this because if you eat the wrong types of foods, you will be unclean. And Jesus says, no, it's not what goes in, but what comes out. He continues in that passage to say, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. Your mouth produces the thoughts of your heart. Now, you may not agree with anything else that Jesus said or anything else that he did, but we all just get this. We agree with this. That's why we have all abandoned the old childhood adage, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. We know that's not true because words do hurt. Deep down, that joke or that insult or that critique that comes out of your mouth strikes me as something that could actually be true. It's definitely something that you believe about me, and so it hurts. James points out another danger in our speech, particularly in light of our our duplicitous hearts. He says this in verse 9, With it, our mouths, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. He then closes the passage by using absurd analogies, things that should never be put together like a well or a pond that produces both salt water and fresh water. That's ridiculous. Or a a fig tree that produces olives or a grapevine producing figs. Those things are ridiculous. James says the same is true of our mouths. If we are using our mouths to bless God and to curse people, those two things should not exist together. James's point is simple. Your mouth cannot escape your heart. You should not think that your heart is pure and clean and faithful when you speak terribly about others or mock them or ridicule them when you critique them endlessly. Now for James, this was all about speaking to someone face to face audibly because there was no Facebook. There were no blogs. There were no comment sections back then. As far as we know, might stumble across something in archaeology sometime soon. For us, speaking to people face-to-face is important. Speaking to people behind their backs is just as important. And what we write online also is very important when it comes to our speech. Our culture gets this. That's why so many people are getting in trouble for things that they have posted years and years and years ago. I just saw that Justin Timberlake had to apologize for things he said about Britney Spears when they were dating what feels like decades ago. Our culture understands your words come from your heart. And so if we have your words on paper that reveal something terrible about your heart, we want to hold you accountable. We will hold people accountable for things they posted on MySpace years ago. But when it comes to our own speech, we are less willing to accept that it actually reveals our heart. We're very quickly defending it away. 
I said that out of anger. I didn't really mean that. I'm sorry for what I said when I was hungry. Have you ever been horrified by something that has come out of your mouth? Taken aback by the fact that you actually said that to somebody? If not, let me ask you this. When is the last time that you said something about someone behind their back that you would never say to their face? It's probably more recently than you would like to admit. If we could print out all of your Facebook posts or your tweets or your comments, would those line up with the way that you speak here this morning? Or have you gone back and deleted many of the embarrassing things you posted in the past? We all recognize that what we say reveals a lot about what's in our hearts. And James's words point us to the reality that our hearts are driven by things we don't like. Verse 4, he says, Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Based on the way that you talk and the way that you type, what would you say is driving you? What would others say? Maybe not always, but often. What is piloting your heart? More often than I would like to admit, my speech is, as James diagnoses, relentlessly evil, set on fire by hell. And I humbly submit to you that yours is as well. Our selfishness, our greed, our idolatry all come out in the way that we speak. And our speech is full of deadly poison, a world of unrighteousness. This is what James says. But you might be saying, Stephen, aren't you playing this up a little bit? Sure, I've said some things that I'm not proud of. I wrote some comments to people when I was angry and online reading their blog. But James even says it here. We all stumble in many ways. I'm just telling it like it is. I'm a realist, a straight shooter. I apologize if I hurt someone's feelings, but that's just who I am. Why are we spending so much time on this? Well, when what's inside comes out, you can burn it all down. You can burn it all down. This is perhaps James's primary point of this section, the danger that our speech poses because of its power. Right? This is why he starts this passage with an odd statement. Verse 1, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. The, the position that James is talking about is not like an apostle or an ordained pastor or a rabbi, someone who has been educated and trained in the ways of the Scriptures, but it really is simply someone who can read, who can read the Scriptures and then teach them to others who can't read. And this position was elevated in status. They had a special standing in culture. They were probably paid for their ability. And so what James is saying is, if you're interested in that, you need to know. All of your standing, all of that notoriety, all of that money comes from your ability to speak. And our hearts are so divided that often what comes out is going to be wrong. It's going to be judged more harshly for sure. And so you need to not seek this out. In some ways, James here is encouraging the brothers that he's writing to in the same way that Uncle Ben encourages Peter Parker. 
with great power comes great responsibility. Now, James, in order to illustrate what power the tongue has, he uses some analogies. And these analogies are few and they they kind of weave in and out. It's hard to discern. I think the best one that sums it up comes in verse five. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. The tongue is powerful in the way that it impacts the people around us, the world around us. But some of James's analogies are also reflexive. He says, yes, the tongue sets a whole forest ablaze, but verse 6, it also sets ablaze the course of our lives. The power of what you say can tear through the lives of others. It can also tear through your own life. Now, whether you are seeking to become a teacher or looked at as someone who has special knowledge, who can speak about a particular area of your life and and pour that into other people or not, the reality is that your words can set you on a course of destruction. You might have seen this when you were in an argument, a disagreement, or a fight with somebody. Even the way that you say something can amp yourself up. You can go from being calm and cool to being red-faced angry just by saying a few words, completely out of control. You and the people around you are in danger of the destructive power of of your words. Now, I think, more so than ever. In the second half of the 1800s, Chicago was becoming a center for commerce and population and transportation for the entire nation. Railroads crisscrossed in Chicago. Uh, Water transportation ran through Chicago. All kinds of industries were being built up in Chicago rapidly. And in order to keep up with the pace of people moving there, the, the housing companies began to build all their buildings in a very quick and reckless way. They'd put up a wooden structure, and then they put some bricks on the outside some stone to make it look nice, but underneath was this wooden skeleton. It was set up for failure, basically, but it allowed the job to get done quickly. Add to that the fact that from July 4th to October 9th, 1871, Chicago received one inch of rain. On top of that, there was such a heat wave that fall that the tar underneath the shingles on the roofs began to bubble and melt. And on the night of October 8th, something small happened. Some people say that there were a group of men playing cards and gambling out behind the O'Leary's house. Some people say an urban legend dictates that a cow in Mrs. O'Leary's barn kicked over a lantern. But what started as a tiny fire began to grow and grow because of all these circumstances so that over the next 35 hours, four square miles of the city of Chicago burned down. 2,000 acres of homes and buildings and industry all burnt to the ground. Thousands of people were left homeless. Hundreds of them died. Right now, each of us sitting here, watching online, the people around us, whether we know it or not, whether we'd admit it or not, are like Chicago. On October 7th, 1871, we're worn out internally. We are parched from the pain and loss of connection and community because of COVID, because of sheltering in place, because of political strife, the unending uncertainty of the future, we are like a tinderbox waiting to go up, which means 
that our words now, more than ever, are more dangerous. They have more potential to be destructive. And yet, doesn't it feel like so often our words are our only outlet, the only acceptable way to vent frustration and disappointment? Do you feel that tension? Are you aware of how powerful your words actually are in the lives of other people? Do you think about how destructive your posts and comments can be? Do you take ownership over the hurt and damage that they have caused? If you're like me, you're keenly aware of how the words of others can hurt you, of the mark that they can leave in your life. But for your own words, for my own speech, not so much. In the face of conviction that James is writing here and concern about what we might do to the lives of others, you might be tempted to just lock it up, keep it quiet, not engage with anybody at all, to just isolate yourself. Because if when what's inside comes out, you could burn it all down unless your words are God's words. Unless your words are God's words. James throws an interesting verse in here, something that I think we could pass over quickly if we forget who James is. Verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Now, this could seem like James is just giving uh, the believers spread out through the Middle East uh, encouragement in the face of failure. James could be saying, listen, we all stumble. We, you and me, us church leaders here in Jerusalem, you brothers scattered throughout the Middle East, we all fail. When it comes to our language, when it comes to our life, we all agree that no one is perfect. We have to remember that James is related to the perfect man. James is Jesus' brother. James grew up with someone who never stumbled in what he said, no matter what. That's kind of hard to imagine, isn't it? There was a football player a couple years ago named Andrew Luck. He played for the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, never won a Super Bowl, was pretty good as a player, but not spectacular and, and you know, in the record books by any means. But one thing that he was known for is the way that he spoke on the field during the game. You know, football players are, are paid to beat each other up. And oftentimes on the field, they speak very aggressively, we'll say, towards each other. They use colorful language. They mock each other. They run each other down in order to get in each other's heads, right? To pump themselves up, to try and throw their opponent off their game. Andrew Luck was different. He would always compliment every player on every play. As a quarterback, he was always trying to, the, the defenders were always trying to tackle him. And so if he got sacked, if he got hit really hard, he would stand back up, look at the player who just threw him to the ground, hit him incredibly hard, and he would say, man, you're getting really fast. I didn't even see you coming. If he threw a pass to his own teammate and and the defending team intercepted it, he would go and try and tackle that player and say something like, man, you you got glue on your gloves? I'm going to get the coach to trade for you. I want you on our team. He just had this kind and gracious way about how he spoke And it threw the defenders off. There's some great footage you can see of him when he has a microphone on playing. A defender just pancakes him, lays him out on the ground, helps him back up, and he says, good hit, number 42, good hit. And the defender, like, stops and says, what did you say? 
says, good hit, man. Good hit. It just threw people off. I kind of imagine that James and Jesus might have had this engagement growing up. You know, they're wrestling on the ground, and Jesus is like, good headlock, little bro. Man, it's getting good. Your, your rug burns, man, they're really improving. It would be so weird to be around somebody who never stumbled in the way that they spoke. And as James says, that means that they were able to bridle their whole life. Jesus is the man who never stumbled in his speech. He bridled his whole body. And James knows that Jesus controlled his words and his action for one reason, so that he could go to the cross a perfect, sinless man. Jesus never spoke slanderously or caustically about anybody. He kept his mouth and his heart in line. And the course of his life, it was set ablaze anyway for James, for you, and for me. Jesus took the fire and the poison and the deadly words that we threw at him, that humanity threw at him, and he also took the punishment that those sins deserve. And He gave to us the righteousness and the life that He earned by His gracious speech and His bridled life. If our words are God's words, they don't destroy, they actually give life. But how can we do that? How does that happen? That's actually the point that James is making throughout his letter. He's been making this the whole time. It's about being united to Jesus, not being divided in our beliefs and our actions, in our thoughts and our words, but instead being unified in thought, word, and and deed around Jesus. As we saw last week, God works to make us more like His Son as we believe in Him through the power of His Spirit at work within us. He unites us to Jesus and makes us more like Him so that our words become His words. Now, let's get specific. What are some ways that we can actually walk out of here today and begin to speak the way we say we believe we should speak? Three applications to close. The first is that we have to own and extinguish our firebrands. Own and extinguish our firebrands. This is the beauty of this passage. As James says, we all struggle We all struggle when it comes to the ways that we speak. You are not ever going to be perfect in how you speak to or about people. But if your words are becoming like God's words, then we will be quick to be repentant. When God calls us into a relationship with Him and changes our lives, one of the first things that He calls us to do is repent of our sins. That's how the whole thing starts. And so, as we see James laying out how dangerous our words can be, as he acknowledges that we will never be perfect in the way that we speak to or about people, we also see that he invites us to speak in a godly way by repenting of the ways that we've hurt others. And in that way, we also extinguish those firebrands by offering the life that only Jesus can give me, forgiveness and repentance. So that's the first way, owning and extinguishing the things we said before. The second thing, follows along uh, the lines, speak less. Speak less. Now, a lot of times when I'm talking in a conversation, when I'm trying to prove a point, when I'm trying to tell a story, whatever it is, my goal is to feel approved of, to feel validated, for you to know what I know and to say, wow, that was pretty cool. 
I can't believe he knew that. I never knew that before, right? What the gospel tells us is that there is no more approval. There is no more validation than you can earn above the reality that God, who created all things and sustains all things, looks at you and says, you are my child. I love you. You can't earn any more validation than that, which means you don't have to go looking for it in the people around you. We can begin to talk about ourselves less, to try and impress other people less. And the less we talk, the more you have an opportunity to listen, to hear what other people have to say. That's the second thing, speak less. The third thing might seem contradictory, but it's not. There's a qualification, say more. Okay, so speak less, but say more, particularly when it comes to encouragement and graciousness. Have you ever been to a movie theater and gotten the bucket of popcorn that has the free refills? If you haven't, the amazing thing about that is the person in your group who has the bucket of popcorn with the free refills ends up sharing their popcorn with everybody because nobody feels bad about giving away popcorn knowing that they're going to get more. The same is true about the blessings we receive from God knowing that we are his sons and his daughters because of what Jesus has done for us gives us the ability to recognize I'm going to be blessed by God every single day of my life. There's nothing greater than what I have now. I can give this away, especially when it comes to the way that we speak, knowing that God looks on us and sees his son and blesses us because of his son in us. We can turn to others and bless them and encourage them, and say the things that they might be needing to hear. How often do you think of of someone and, and think about how awesome they are, how great a hard worker they are, how kind they are, how thoughtful they are, but then you never say that to them. You don't actually pass on the encouragement or compliment because you get busy. You don't want to be the weird person who's just always being kind to other people. Do that. Send them a text. Write them a letter. Give them a call just to say, I was thinking about you, and I was really thankful for the way that you've done this in my life. Own and extinguish the things that you've said in the past. Repent. Say less. Recognize that you can't earn any kind of standing that God hasn't already given you. And say more by loving and blessing other people. When what's inside comes out, you could burn everything down unless your words are God's words. Let's pray. God, we come before you humbled, confessing that we so often are driven by our selfishness and our greed, our desire to be seen and to be known, to be valued and validated, and so we say things without considering how they might hurt others. We say things without considering how they might hurt ourselves, and we walk ourselves into dangerous and deadly situations. I ask that you would send your spirit to us to perfect our speech, not that we will ever perfectly say the things that we should say, but that we would be able to recognize our failures, repent of them, and encourage others and love others and serve others in our speech the same way that you have loved and served us. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.